Hey guys, welcome to Spirit Pig. I'm Duncan CJ, and today I am talking to Peter Russell. Peter studied mathematics and theoretical physics at Cambridge University in the UK and was a student of Stephen Hawking. He then became increasingly fascinated by the mysteries of the human mind and so changed to, exper um, to experimental psychology. And uh, pursuing this interest, he travelled to India to study meditation and Eastern philosophy. Uh, in the 1970s, he pioneered the introduction of human potential seminars and taught the top management at companies such as Apple, IBM, American Express and Shell. Uh, in 1982, he coined the term global brain, and with his 1980s best-selling book, uh, he, uh, which, yeah, in his 1980s best-selling book, he predicted the internet and the impact it would have. He's the author of seven books, uh, appears frequently on radio, television, and gives keynote speeches at conferences all around the globe, and has spent a lifetime researching the untapped potentials of the human mind. And last but not least, he was described by Watkins magazine as the 21st most spiritually influential living person in the world. Thank you so much for being here, Peter. Thanks. Good to be with you. <laughs> I was looking at, first of all, how, how does that feel to be the 21st most spiritually influential person in the world? It made me laugh. <laughs> I don't take it too seriously. <laughs> I think you said, I, I, I saw the comment you, um, you wrote about it on your, on your website. And I think um, you said something like um, you were taken back and then you know, your ego was inflated for a bit. And then you immediately realized that you actually had to give away 10 of your places. Uh, you had to actually get bunked down 10 just for being like happy by that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, now, a few years back, I mean, a few years back, you, another thing I saw, which made me laugh, you began counting your age, not in years, but in days. What, how come you do that? What's, what's the significance of that? Oh, that was something I've been playing with for a long time. It's just, it seems to me, the day is the natural cycle of life. I mean, yes, there is the year cycle. We've gone around the sun another time. And we've gone through the seasons another time. And, you know, as we grow up, we count the years. But the, the real cycle of life is the day. You know, we, we wake up, we live a day, we, we go to sleep and we start another day. And each day is a complete, like, unit in itself of life. And so I just started thinking... You know, I should start counting the days. It's now like, you know, I've had more than 25,000 days on this planet. It puts a whole different perspective on it. And so, yeah, I, I just love it. It really does. As in, on your website, there's a little calculator where you can work it out. And I've got, um, I think, next month or the month afterwards is my, is my 10,000th birthday, my 10,000th day. So I don't know, I'm going to have to organize some celebration. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, one essay I absolutely loved of yours, it was called The Challenge of Ever Accelerating Change. And I will link that up in the, in the show notes. And it was, it was absolutely fascinating. But um, in it, you talk about this idea of technology and how the idea of, you know, in the technology age, it was the idea was almost uh, we thought we'd have so much free time because technology would speed everything up. But yeah. actually, we've actually it's got almost the reverse. We've now just packed more and more into the time we do have. And we, we're constantly driven by this belief that the more we do, the happier we'll be. Is, is that just is that belief fundamentally wrong or? Yes. I think so. It's, <laughs> Perfect. It's, it's also uni almost universal. I think it's hypnotized into us from the moment we're born. You know, do more, achieve more, get more, be more successful, and you'll be happier. And it's not fundamentally wrong. There's a sense in which it is true um, in terms of our 
you know, our day-to-day needs, you know, we need to get the world right, you know, we need basic comforts, we need all those things. But what's been shown is that once you get beyond a certain level where you've got all your, you know, daily needs met, your household needs, your basic needs all covered, and you're leading a fairly sort of comfortable middle-class life, after that, you don't get any happier. It doesn't make you any happier. And I think it's this belief that we're sort of hypnotized into us that the the more we have, the happier we'll be. And I think what all the great spiritual traditions are pointing towards is actually something different, that you know, if, if we're not happy, it may not be that we're missing something, but we're actually, the idea that there's something missing is actually what makes us unhappy. We, we create a sense of lack in ourselves. Okay. Yeah, because it's, um, I like it, because it's, yeah, you, you're constantly, so it's, it's, it's almost got, a ceiling so up up to a point yeah things you know it's kind of useful like your your basic needs but then it's not like a graph which like you know the more you have it just continues going like that it does it is it once your basic it, needs are met is that is that like sort of the what's his name um abrian maslow's hierarchy of yes, needs kind of thing yes it's a bit like that yes and in fact you can see you know people, i know people who are sort of really wealthy and they're not happy at all. They're, they're worried about what's happening to the markets and will they have their art treasures stolen? It's like we, we then create more worries. We create more unhappiness. Yeah. I think the point is that a, a lot of our unhappiness is actually self-created. Mm. We think there's something we need or we, we think there's something we need to get rid of. And so in our minds, we're creating dissatisfaction the whole time. And then our culture tells us if you're dissatisfied, if you're not happy, if you're discontent, go out and do something about it. And it may actually be much more productive to actually look inside and say, you know, what is it? What am I telling myself about this? What am I telling myself that I need? You know, do I really need it? Mm. And two questions I have for myself is when I think I really need to get something or have something or have a person be a certain way, I say, you know, if I... You know, if I got this, would I really be happy? And the answer is, you know, maybe for a little while, but it wouldn't make a big difference. And the other question is, if I don't get it, can I still be happy? And the answer is usually, well, of course. Yeah. You, you, you use this, um, what, this uh, amazing analogy of, of, of a tree and how it withstands the storm. Like, yeah. could you, can you maybe just, for anyone, you know, for the, you know, the listeners, maybe just describe that analogy because and how, yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure you'll be able to describe yeah. it a little better. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this was coming back to what you're saying about accelerating change. Mm. And I see that I mean, change is accelerating, just to go back a step, change is accelerating for two reasons. One, as you mentioned, you know, we continually want things to go faster. We want things to be more efficient. We want to get more things done. Almost every invention that's ever caught on is one that's made things more efficient. So that's happening. But also evolution itself is always speeding up. Just each new development makes it easier for the next stage of development. And so it's inevitable that change is going to keep on increasing. You know, we see the pace of life today is much faster than it was, you know, 20 years ago or 200 years ago or, you know, 2,000 years ago. The pace of life you know, 10, 20 years from now is going to be even faster than now. It's going to, there's no avoiding the acceleration. And so people talk about, you know, waves of change or the winds of change. And I say, no, we've got a hurricane of change coming. And that's where the analogy of a tree comes in. How does a tree withstand a storm? And for many years, I I lived in a forest. I actually lived in Thetford Forest in England, in Norfolk. And I saw many storms pass through. And it just struck me that 
the trees that withstand a storm are the ones that, first of all, they've got strong roots. They're, they're, you know, they're strongly rooted. Secondly, they're flexible. They can bend with the wind. And then thirdly, the forest itself protects the trees. It's like they're in a community. They're all supporting each other in a way. A tree standing on its own out in the field doesn't stand as much chance as a tree sitting in a forest. And so I start to think of the parallels with ourselves in terms of how do we live with ever-accelerating change. And so the first thing is we need to be grounded in ourselves, rooted, by which I mean that we don't get emotionally thrown every time there's some new bit of bad news or good news or the stock market goes up or down or whatever it is. We can remain stable in ourselves in a changing world. And then the flexibility is much more about our own creativity. If the world's changing, we're going to be in completely new situations and holding on to, oh, this is the way we've always done it. This is, this is what worked in the past. It's not going to serve us. We're going to need to be really flexible, creative, let go of old mindsets and start thinking in completely new ways. So that's the flexibility. And then being in a forest is community. I think that's really important. It's just having community, having that support of other people is is really important. And we often don't value that, as, but I, I think it's really crucial. Mm. Yeah, and so, so that's where she came from. Yeah, no, no, I, I loved it because it was um, it just yeah painted a really sort of clear picture. And it's um, and, and do, do we have like, I guess the choices. I guess because one thing that we can control, you know, is is our thinking. And so we can actually make the decision to, even though the, the world around us is getting, you know, and it's only going to get quicker and quicker and quicker, but we've still got the choice to actually, what, like, take a step back and actually slow down sort of like our, we can, we can control our own sort of sphere. Even though if everything's crazy around us, we can actually taking time for ourselves. That, is that, is that essential? That's, that's, that's part of it is, is reclaiming time for ourselves, which, I mean, yes, when we're in the world, we are moving faster and it's not, too much we're moving faster so we have to adapt faster it's like oh there's another new operating system oh, this is new or oh, this has changed so it's, it's not that we're living any faster but we're adapting faster and faster and that it's that adaptation which causes stress a lot of the time so one of the things i suggest is we actually need to just take some time for ourselves whether that's just sitting quietly going for a walk meditating whatever it is swimming we all have different things but actually not to let the world soak up all our time to actually say no here's time where i this is this is the time i take for myself to nourish myself because otherwise we just liable to burn out so so that i think is just a really important thing and and also i think time to quieten the mind and that's why i'm interested in meditation and things like that because in a busy world, our mind gets busy, and we're sort of here, there, and thinking this, onto this, onto this, and one thing leads to another. And just to take time each day and just to slow down and let that thinking mind just come to a state of quiet is, I think, really valuable. It's going to be, it's going to be more and more important as we move through these times. I, I didn't mention it in the introduction, but um, when you got back from um, India, weren't, weren't you given sort of one of the first places or grants or something to actually study the connection between meditation and psychology that was the first one that was the first one ever in britain was that correct it was the first phd offered in uh, the psychology of meditation this this was back in 1971 and in those days meditation was like weird (laughs) 
as you mentioned, I, I was at Cambridge and I'd, I'd been in the psychology department after I left physics. And I went along to the professor there and said, you know, I, I want to do a PhD on you know, meditation. And he said, that is not a respectable study subject for study. He said, <laughs> if you want to be out on the fringe, I'll let you study hypnosis. But he said, you know, you cannot study meditation. That is just too much on the fringe. And then by this incredible series of synchronicities, I ended up meeting the professor at Bristol University. And he said, oh, great. I'd love you to do that. Come here. And so I went down, went down to Bristol. And I think I don't, I say it's the first, I, I don't know of any other, anybody else being offered a PhD post in, in meditation in Britain at that time. I think I was the first. Someone may come up and say, no, no, I did it two years early. But I, I knew that realm pretty well. So I think I was the first, yeah. That's amazing. I was gonna, I was gonna say, like, even you even get some like weird looks, and I, you know, I say I meditate, and like even nowadays you get some weird looks. So back in 1970, as in, you know, now there's a lot more sort of, it's a lot more media attention. You got apps, you got everything. You know, it's it's, it's everywhere now. But um, wow, 1970. <laughs> well, in fact, in, in the mid 70s, I that's when I started working in corporations, and to begin with, they were asking me to come in and teach their executives meditation, and this was usually the, the sort of the health department would bringing me in because they could see their executives were getting stressed and they wanted some way of relaxing. But they didn't want anybody to know. And in fact, one company who is a large international household name, I was teaching their board members in their nice oak-paneled boardroom down in the centre of London. And they made me promise never to tell anybody that I was teaching their executives meditation. And now, of course, you get, you know, companies proud of it. You know, Google is, you know, promoting it and PayPal, all, the, the, all these companies like they're out here in California, I am. Everybody's proud of the fact they're bringing meditation into the company. This shows how things have changed. <laughs> it's almost seen as like some taboo or like dirty word, meditation. Yeah. Yeah. Don't say it. <laughs> does, um, does sort of like the growth and development and progress, does that like, because, you know, we'll, the whole society is constantly, like, constantly growing, develop, like progress. Does that excite you or do you feel that we're constantly, are we constantly searching for something better? And so it, it's stopping us from being like present and like appreciating the now. I think so, yes. And we've got we're always on this sort of treadmill of just going looking for more, looking for more. It comes back to what we were talking about earlier, this belief that if only I had more, I'd be happier. Yeah. And so we keep on chasing, chasing, chasing. It's what in... I mean, in Eastern thought, it's called samsara, which means literally to wander on endlessly. And so we wander on from one thing to another, to another, to another, just looking for happiness and not recognizing that a lot of the time, if we just let go of the seeking, let go of the searching and actually, you know, we'd come back to a more quiet state for a moment, we'd actually be happy. Yeah. And I think, I think the natural state of mind is one of contentment. When everything is okay in our world outside, when we're fed, the temperature's right, you know, we're accepted by our culture, we feel okay inside. If there's something wrong, we temporarily feel discontent, we do something about it, we return to contentment. And yet what happens in our culture is we're continually looking out there, and that just keeps us going and going and going. So for me, I look at it with a sense of, I suppose, several things. One, amusement. We just keep on and on. Um, so always at the end of the rainbow. It's oh, it yeah, yeah, exactly. We're chasing the rainbow, and some degree of concern because it's you know just 
we keep on growing materially that's more consumption more waste more pollution and i think that you know that belief that we've got to keep growing is part of you know the problem with the world today but i it, it's almost inevitable while we're in this belief system mm, it's interesting because I, i've kind of been battling this at the moment because on the one hand like um i was like okay it's good to have goals and it's good to know where i'm going and have that clear direction but then i've been reading a lot of sort of um like being present and so actually more actually just being like just happy in the moment and so actually i haven't actually been so focused on goal setting at the moment but it's nice i mean it's, it's a nice sort of difference you know actually just to realize actually right now you know everything you've got is you know is here right now which is it's, it's a cool feeling yeah, we actually need both. I mean, you know, we're living lives in a world, in a busy world. We need to, you know, whatever we're doing, we've got our professions or yeah. families, whatever. Goals are important. They're, they're really important. But we also need to balance that with time just to pause and just just to be present to our experience. Because what we tend to do is get lost in our heads. We get lost in our stories, our concerns, our planning. Did I do the right thing yesterday? All this stuff. And being present for me is just coming back and just noticing the experience in the moment. Oh, there's, you know, there's birdsong outside or there's traffic noise outside or, oh, I'm feeling this in my body. I hadn't noticed that. Or it's just to notice the actual experience. And when we do that and step out of the thinking mind and just notice the actual experience, it's like, ah, yes, there's that sense of relief. And if we can just do that as a regular thing in the day, you know, you, you stopped at a traffic light, you know, instead of thinking, oh, God, how long is this going to take? Another half minute, I'm going to be late and more, da, 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 da. It's just like, okay, here I am. What's happening? How's my breathing? How am I feeling? What's going on? Just, just to be, we can do it in very short periods. We don't have to sit down for half an hour. And, I mean, that's great to do that as well. But I think just, I, I'm a great fan of micro meditations. I like that. I like that. Yeah, just when you're just in, like you said, just in a traffic light, or you're in the queue, or something. Just, just having those on the tube, just having you know those few seconds actually, and just yeah. okay, the breath. Okay, now ready to go again. And just to tell you, know, just to tell the mind to pause. It will start up again, but you know, you can just say, "Hang on, okay, stop." Yeah. Whatever, whatever the mind's doing, stop. Pause. It's like ah, oh, yes, and then you're off again. But just, just doing that, I find valuable. That's awesome. And I, I mean, I think you, you touched on a couple of things there, but I mean, I don't think obviously we, we don't mean to, but unconsciously, I think we probably all sort of self-sabotage ourselves a lot. And like, what do you think, you know, what do you feel like are some of the most common things getting in the way of people being truly happy and content and fulfilled? Like you were saying about the searching, I think that's obviously a big yeah. one, but are there other, other ones which, you know, the big roadblocks that, you know, think that come up again and again that are stopping people from, you know, being happy? Yeah. Um, I think it all in one way or another, well, it comes out of two labels. One, one is the searching, and so many things come back to searching. The, it's the believing if I just had something, got something, got some experience, I'd be happy. So that's a whole, whole belief system. The other one is almost the opposite, which is often called aversion. You know, oh, if I just got rid of this, it's like, oh, if I just could get this person out of my life or get them to change or something or other or whatever it is. But like there's something wrong in the world. There's, there's something I don't like. Yeah. And, and that's the other side of the coin. They're both, they both boil down to the idea that 
if I can change the world in some way or another, either get something or avoid something, I'll be okay. And, and that's the root of this, this wandering on and on and on. So I think the blocks come up different things for different people. I mean, they, they come up in our relationships. If only my partner were different, did this, whatever it is. And so we, we then start treating people like objects. You know, we treat them like, you know, going out for, you know, a good gourmet meal. If I had this on the, you know, if this was on the menu, I'd be happy. If my partner, you know, did this or said this, I'd be happy. Which, which is sad, but it's, it's part of what we get into. Mm. Yeah, sorry, I was, I was just, I was listening there, I was just letting that sink in, sorry. Um, and another thing that you, you, you said, which a phrase, was that you mentioned it a second ago, the idea of like letting go. And um, like we've yeah. been conditioned and taught to believe in always holding on, like holding on to everything. Um, but we should in fact practice like letting go. Like why is, why is, what's the importance of letting go and why is that so powerful? Right. Right. Well, the, the letting go I'm interested in is, Almost is more the inner mental. Yes, exactly. It's not like letting go of all the clothes we got in our wardrobe. No, no, or no, that, more, yeah. <laughs> or letting go of my you know, great car and getting a smaller downsizing. That sort of letting go, the material letting go. But I'm interested in the letting go of our attachments in our mind. And it's really letting go of... Um, what we think is important, um, letting go of letting go of tension, letting go of these sorts of things, and you're right. The problem is we're holding on. We hold on to our beliefs of what we want. We hold on to um, well, the sort of things we we're talking about. If only I had this or that, and we think letting go is something else we have to do. And so people say, oh, I've tried to let go, you know, I've tried to let go of this relationship, but I can't do it. I've tried to let go of my feelings about something, or I've tried to let go of this sort of tension in my body, but I can't do it. And I think it's the doing, trying to do it that's the problem. We're already doing too much. We're holding on to something. We're holding on to our belief. We're holding on to our judgments, our grievances. I remember... I was with someone recently and a little while back and someone walked into the kitchen and said, I really, I really can't forgive this person for what they did six months ago. And my friend just turned around and said, I'm really sorry for you. <laughs> you know, we hold on to things. Yeah. And so I reframe letting go as letting in and letting be. It's not trying to get rid of something. But if you've got some, say you've got some anger or some grievance or something you're trying to let go of instead of trying to get rid of it which never works or seldom works yeah. i say let, let the experience in if you're feeling anger how does that feel in the body you know get to know the experience get to feel it or what are the stories you're telling yourself about the person let that in and and then just allow it to be there not to try and get rid of it but what i find again and again is the more we bring our awareness to what's actually going on, it often just tends to dissolve its own accord. I mean, you, you, you get the same thing, you know, when you do yoga and things. If you've got a, you know, a tense muscle that, or a tight muscle that's not letting go. Yeah. If you try to make it let go, you know, it's a battle. But, it, you know, people know if you just tune into feeling that muscle, feeling the tension, allowing that experience of the tension in, then it often just, you suddenly just, oh, something just relaxes of its own accord. It's almost like so kind of um, when, when you sort of shine the light on it, 
you kind of see it for what it actually is, and it's actually not necessarily as big and scary as maybe what you played up in your mind. Exactly. Yes. It's kind of like you know, like for example, a fear would be um, you know we we plan it out, and actually the idea of, of a fear is probably a lot scarier than if the reality actually happens, and we just see it in the light of day. It's like, yeah. oh, what was I getting so worried about? Right. Yes. Exactly. Okay. And I think it's we resist letting these things in. I mean, I. I had an experience, oh, it was a while back, I was on a meditation retreat, and I felt, I just had this feeling of sadness coming up, and didn't know what it was about, and the initial thing is, block it, you know, if I let this in, I'm going to start blubbing in the meditation retreat, or whatever, and I just did, okay, what's it like, what, what's it feel like to be, what's it feel like in the body, what's it feel like emotionally, what's going on, it's like, oh, it's actually, a sort of, almost like a warm, experience it's like oh i never really had allowed myself to just savor what it felt like and then it all started moving so i think you're right we we're scared or if i let this anger in i'm going to start swearing and spoil the relationship or lose my job or whatever it's not about you know acting everything out but letting the experience into your consciousness and one thing i do there for myself is if i'm feeling like i've got some anger stuff or frustration going on i'll just write about it and that that is bringing it into awareness i'll throw the paper away afterwards it's not i'm not keeping a journal about it but just writing what i'm feeling and i'll you know i use language i won't even repeat on the internet <laughs> <laughs> but i you know i'll write i'll write exactly Almost what i'm quite feeling therapeutic. It's, it's stupid blah 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 what that blah that they think they're bad and it's like ah oh, i just feel so much better all the time where it's like for me we keep things out on the edge of our consciousness we don't let them in if i let this in all hell's going to break loose mm. in fact as you say you let it in it's often not as bad as you think and by letting it in we actually get freedom from it yeah rather than trying to like push it down or bottle it or stop yeah. it just let it flow and then let it go i guess yeah flow and go yeah uh, that's awesome and um can you I, 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 this is a bit of a detour, but um, I, I loved. You know, I, I read it, and it was just like it was such a great story um, about the idea of um, a blind walk, which you did, and then also oh. and also the email which you received afterwards, uh, which I thought was fascinating. Can you maybe just yes. describe that? Yes, this was. Um, it was many years ago. I was on a. It was at a conference, and it was one of these that were doing stuff out in nature, and the idea of a blind walk is you actually you're blind. I'm blindfolded, and. Then after I'm blindfolded, half the group was blindfolded, half weren't. And then somebody from the group just came and took my hand. I didn't know who it was. And then gently led me up this very rocky gully, about a quarter of a mile, like over boulders. And it was like rough terrain. We weren't walking down the street. And all I got was just there leading me by the hand. And, you know, occasionally they might touch my knee to show me there was a old, but all, the, all I had was no words, nothing, just another person. And by the end of this, by the end I got to the top of this gully, I was just totally in love with this person. Whoever they were, I didn't know who they were. I just, I loved this person because I was being taken care of. And just felt this, I just felt this connection. And if I'd seen them, probably all, my, all the visual stuff would have come in and there'd have been, you know, judgments about the person, probably good judgment, not necessarily bad judgment. But just, just noticing their care, I just responded with an equal care. And, you're right, and then later I got an email from somebody who put this up who'd been blind, who was blind, and just saying, 
you know, it's almost like almost like a bonus of being blind is you really begin to feel people and you can feel that connection and feel that love. Yeah, I think I think one phrase which he said was you you really see them, but as in like not see them, but you, you, you see like you know, who they their true self or who they actually are. Yes. I love that idea because when, when you actually remove all the senses and you move like like you said, the judgments or the ideas and you actually just see their sort of true self or see who they're, yeah. you know, they're genuine. Oh, I think that, I think that's just an amazing idea. I love that. And also when you think about it, I mean, we all, you know, dress up to some extent to, you know, show people who we are by the clothes we wear, you know, what sector of society we belong to, you know, making ourselves more attractive or not, whatever it is. But, you know, the visual thing, we're actually, we're not, totally naked in a way. I don't mean physically naked, but we don't all wear the same thing. We've got that individual stuff showing who we are by how we dress and how we do our hair and whatever, and if you're a woman, how you make up, etc. And when you take all that out, you're just feeling that the person behind all that. Mm. Yeah, that, yeah. Well, yeah, we put up all these layers of like who we are. This is like... like who is Duncan? I, w- I want to show the world who I am. And you, everyone puts up their fronts, but it tears back all those layers. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> and deep down, you know, deep down, we are all the same. Really, you know, deep down, beyond all our backgrounds, conditioning, all that stuff, you know, we all want the same thing. We all really want to be cared for, to be at peace. None of us want to suffer, to be rejected, criticised. So, and I think that's really important to recognise. Underneath all of this, we're actually very, very similar. So cool! <laughs> Such a good idea. Uh, and a couple of a uh, couple of speed round questions just to finish off. Um, what does a fulfilled life mean to you? It means feeling fulfilled in myself. Which I'd have to reframe that. It doesn't mean to say that, you know. I have everything I need. It's more that when, I, when I'm in that state of stillness and quietness, it is, it is a state of just natural contentment. And it's like nothing else could be added. There's nothing else I want. It's like there's nothing else to improve this. That's what it means to me. Is It's like I am in this moment. There's nothing else I need. That doesn't mean to say, you know, there's not things I do need in the world, but in myself, it's knowing deep in myself, I don't need anything in order to be perfect or whatever. So, so that's, that's what it means to me. It, it's an inner state of, um, I don't want to say contentment with what is, but yes, it's, 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 I don't need anything else in myself. That's what it means to me. Is that a feeling that you often tap into when you're in one of your deep, like when you're in a meditation, that you can just tap directly into that feeling? Yes, and it's like we don't so much tap into it. It's just like it's just it's you're in this state of like stillness and ease, and it's like, and the thought comes, how could I ever want anything else? You know, I, well, not how could I ever want anything else. It's like right now I don't need anything else. I'm just, I'm happy, and it's this comes back to what we were talking about earlier. You know, we think if only I had this, I'd be happier. And if you are just feeling that state of natural contentment, then that thinking, oh, if only I had this, just seems stupid. That's amazing. 
And <laughs> that's awesome. I love that. Uh, what is one thing uh, all our listeners can do today that will have a massive positive effect on their life? Uh, I think be kind to each other. It comes back to what I was saying. We all want the same thing. Ultimately, we want to be cared for, loved. Too easily, we get into attacking other people. You know, we, we oh, you're wrong or whatever. And it's a strange game we play. We think, oh, if I just get, if I just make you feel a little bit bad, you'll realise you should love me more. And being kind for me is in whatever we do to just hold the intention that the other person feels loved, they feel respected, they don't feel attacked. And if we do that in our relationships, our personal relationships, work relationships, people we, you know, we meet in shops or whatever, if that, you hold that intention of, I want the other person to feel good as a result of this interaction, not only does it help them, but it, it just all comes back to us. Because if the other person is feeling good in the interaction they're going to treat us well you know if you go in and you start shouting at whatever it is you know somebody in the street or something they're going to shout back and you get into those sorts of games but, but if you're just kind to other people just come straight back That's all right. I love that. and uh, are there any books or resources which have changed or had a big impact on you many but um, not, no single Little thing stands out. I, well, I would say way back when I first started getting into meditation, spirituality, about, about the same time I was doing the PhD and things, I spent a lot of time with the Maharishi, who was, you know, brought TM, Transcendental Meditation, to the West in the 60s, was the Beatles guru. And I learned a lot from him about basic sort of understanding of the mind and meditation. And I still find a lot of what I have to teach today goes back to those very early years with him. So I would say probably he's been over my life, the most important influence, but there've been many, many others as well. Yeah. And does that mean I'll put them, I'll link him up in the show notes. Does he, does he have any particular books or should I just link? Does he have a website or does he got just loads of materials? No, he's dead. (laughs) Well, I would say find out more about that guy. And um, finally, how can people stay in touch or find out more about you and your work? Um, My website, which is very simple. It's peterrussell.com, except you've got to have two hours on the Russell because there's a typo squatter sitting on Peter Russell with one hour. So (laughs) it's Peter Russell, two hours on the Russell, and there's hundreds of pages of, you've seen, writings, videos, audios, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic yeah, resource. Aging days, meditations. Yeah, it's got it all there. So that's an amazing starting point you know, for anyone in this. Some of your old um, talks and stuff, it's got some of the transcriptions. And so you can just delve in. You, you've got hours and hours of amazing content. Yeah, even some of my books are up there, complete books. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, fantastic. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I've, got, I've got lots more reading then. <laughs> Peter, thank you so, so much for talking to me today. I really, I, I absolutely loved it. I, I, could, I had so many other things I want to talk to you about, but this is this has been amazing. I really, really appreciate it. Well, maybe another time we can do something as well. I hope so. Thank you so much. My pleasure. See you soon. Chris. Bye. Okay, bye.